Good evening, and welcome to Meet the Artist Interviews. I'm your host, Charles Chip McNeil, Director of Education for the San Francisco Ballet, and I am pleased to be here on this Friday evening, April 12th, 2013. We are recording from the San Francisco War Memorial Opera House, and I want to extend a very warm welcome to all of those in our audience this evening. This is also an opportunity for me to give a special welcome to a distinguished group of principals, teachers, arts administrators from the San Francisco Unified School District. These remarkable individuals help make our outreach and education aims possible at San Francisco Ballet. We partner with them to deliver high caliber arts education programs to school children throughout San Francisco. And I wanna say thank you and welcome. Can we give them a round of applause? <laughs> thank you. Now, uh, this is also an opportunity for me to say with great technological advances come great problems. So if you have not seen uh, or heard, rather, the podcast for all of our Meet the Artist interviews this season. I apologize, uh, but it's a technical issue that we are addressing, and as soon as possible, we will have those podcasts up and available for everyone. So I appreciate your understanding, and just know that we are negotiating, moving well into the 21st century as best we can. Tonight features program six, and this program includes Raimonda Act Three by Rudolf Nureyev, Ibsen's House by Val Canaparoli, and Symphonic Dances by Edward Liang. So joining me for today's talk is San Francisco Ballet soloist, and who's also interviewing for the very first time. Please welcome Miss Clara Blanco. Hello, everyone. Um, born in Valib you know what, I knew I was going to mess this word up. I'm going to try it, but I'm going to try it. Born in Valladolid. Valladolid. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Spain. Uh, Miss Blanco did train at San Francisco Ballet School, but prior to that, she was a student of Estudio de Beatriz Martin, Estudio de Danza de Marie Avila. That one I practiced. <laughs> Um, she joined the San Francisco Ballet Company in 2001 and was promoted to soloist in 2012. Miss Blanco's repertory includes featured roles in Helgi Thomason's Swan Lake and Giselle, uh, the Thomason Posikoff production of Don Quixote, Guide to Strange Places by Ashley Page, Cranko's On Yegan, Val Canaparoli's Ibsen's House, one of tonight's performance, and Michael Fokin's Petrushka, Natalia Makarova's Paquita and several ballets by Balanchine, and last but not least, uh, a number of ballets also by Christopher Wielden, including Number Nine and Rush, among many others. She is a star, and we are so happy to have her join us this evening. So, don't be nervous. <laughs> Good. So, I really want to start um, by asking a little bit about your early training, because you started really early, and that's really something that, you know, is becoming more and more common, you know, because dancers want to make the most of their whole career and their life. But you started very young and you also grew up in Spain. So can you tell us a little bit about your early? Um, well, I started training when I was six years old. Um, no one in my family has ever danced or did anything very art related. But um, it was, the, the way I started was um, very random. I, 
apparently I, I had a good ear. Like my, my teacher uh, in school told my parents that um, it would be nice to do some kind of play a p uh, music, some kind of instrument or do ballet. And uh, that same year, uh, a small studio opened where my dad worked, next to where he had his business. And my mom just asked me, would you like to join and see what you, what you feel, if you like it or not? So um, I just went into class without any really desire, but in the minute I put my foot in it, I knew that I, I really liked it. Yeah. Um, I think it was uh, the structure of the class. I, for me, it wasn't the playground. It wasn't uh, a place where I could have fun. Uh, I took it very seriously from the very beginning. And um, I, I was putting, I, I was always in classes with people that were much older than me. So for me, it was something that uh, I was very dedicated and focused from the beginning. Um, I started in, in Valladolid when, when I was six, but when I turned eight, I started going around in Spain to the biggest uh, ballet schools. And it was the first time uh, where I saw what ballet dancer to be a, what it is to be a ballet dancer. Um, I I was exposed to uh, professional companies, and I knew that um, probably when I was 11, I knew that that was gonna be what I what I wanted to be. Of course, my parents thought that I was a little crazy, but because they, they really saw that I took it very seriously and I, I was committed to it and uh, it was all I wanted to do. Um, so they, they really support my decision. And um, when I turned 12, I moved to another city that it was four hours away from, mm. from, my, from Valladolid. I, I went to the school of Maria de Avila um, which is the mother of Lola de Avila. I don't know if you know. Right, her. Lola de Avila, the former director of the San Francisco Ballet School. Yeah. Her mother runs a very well-known and well-established school there in Spain. Yeah, she's actually the teacher of all the teachers that are in Spain at the moment, and they are all around Spain. So she's the mother of all she's, of them. Yes. Uh, and I was very lucky. I, I believe I was the last... Um, generation that she was able to work with. And I, I was in Zaragoza for four years. Um, and it was the last year when I, she decided to, to present me to this uh, competition in Switzerland called Prix de Lausanne. And I was very lucky and I got a, a, one of the prizes, which was a, the scholarship that brought me here to the States. That's how I arrived in San Francisco when I was 15. When you were 15? Yeah. So did you moved here alone with your family? Or? Yeah, this time I did. When I, when I moved from Valladolid to Zaragoza, my mom didn't want to leave me. So she made that sacrifice to move with me. And my dad would just travel every weekend to, to visit mm -hmm. us. And that was hard. You know, it was a big sacrifice. For my parents, most of it, I was happy. I was doing what I wanted. <laughs> so, but um, I have to be very thankful for that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, when I when I decided to come here, of course, my mom didn't want to mm -hmm. follow me. Mm -hmm. Although it was hard, it was hard for them. But um, 
they they felt that I had a good head on my shoulders and there were a few Spanish dancers in the company and they always took care of me. They were all male, so I was the little the little, little girl. Sister. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know what what you something you said is no small thing. You know, when uh, I think it happens for dancers, I think it happens for athletes, I think it happens for gymnasts and ice skaters. You know, when you make this commitment to this great commitment, you have to go where the work is. You have to go where the training is. You have to go where the greatest teacher is for you. And that's a big thing that families really have to negotiate, isn't it? I mean, you made it sound very simple, but it's probably no. was no, I mean, for your father to not be with your family and to no, move. No, it yeah. wasn't easy at all, and, but they, also, they made sure that it wasn't Clara being crazy, wanted to do something that maybe she wasn't... Right. She didn't, maybe she didn't have a small chance to get to do it at the end. Um, so they talk with, you know, teachers and they, they told them um, that I had some talent and that um, if I took the chance, there could be a possibility that I could make it. So they wanted to make sure you had a real potential yeah, to do something yeah. before the whole family uprooted and, yeah. and made these huge changes. That's a, that's a big deal. But you yourself sounds like you've never had any doubts about what you wanted to do. I, I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't know if I was, it, was gonna, it was gonna happen, but um, I was determined to do everything I could to, to make it happen. Right. And you also mentioned there are other dancers from the same school in mm -hmm. Spain who are members of our company. And that includes um, Gonzalo Garcia, who is no longer with us, but Ruben Martin. Yeah, and his brother Moises Martin. And his brother Moises, that's right. Here. All from the same school. Um, so when you first came to San Francisco Ballet School, this is the question that I think a lot of students, young people ask all the time. What's the difference? Is it a whole different way of living and training, being in the States, being at San Francisco Ballet School than it is doing it in Spain? Or is it really ballet and it's the same wherever you go? No, no, it's not the same. I mean, ballet is ballet, but it's different. For me, it was different. It was a shock, mm -hmm. the culture, the way of living, everything, the, the language, I, I barely speak in English, I knew a little bit. Um, so, um, When you came here, you didn't speak English? No, really, I mean, in the school we have okay. English classes, but you think you know more than you do. Oh, okay. When you come, <laughs> you just try to speak and nothing comes into your mind. Um, oh, I know that And they, they ask you and you don't know what they just said. So. <laughs> but, it, you know, slowly, you, yeah. I was, like a sponge, I tried to absorb everything in every way. So, and also I was living with another girl from the school who was American and that really helped me to learn um, to speak the language. But in terms of uh, the classes, I was trained in a very classical, um, my training was very classical. So when I came here, I, I had to learn to move in a different way. Uh -huh. Like I'm never, even seeing what balancing was, right. or um, I haven't really done any contemporary or modern right. because in, by the time I was in, in Zaragoza, Maria de Avila just taught pure classical. Mm -hmm. And you could, that was the best thing she could teach. And if you wanted to have the best classical training, probably she was the best right. one. But I wasn't exposed, and I was 15, so I didn't have that much time to be exposed to anything else. So when I came here, um, that was a big shock. Mm -hmm. It was a bit different way of training. And at first I find it a little bit hard, but then I learned to 
uh, incorporated to what I already had. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, made my dancing more versatile. Right. Well, actually, if you're just joining us, I'm in conversation with San Francisco Ballet soloist Clara Blanco. You mentioned your classical training, and this school that you went to is known for this very unique uh, high level of, of classical training. Um, you, I'm going to embarrass you just a little bit. You are known for your amazing port bras in fact, you're often cited as an example for other dancers in the company, from what I hear, from the ballet masters. So explain to the audience for a minute what port-a-bras is and tell us how you cultivated yours. Well, it's funny because I, it's true. This, people usually mention my port-a-bras. And that was, when I arrived to Zaragoza, that was what Maria de Avila said that it was my weakness in a way because I used to flap my, my wrist too much. Oh, okay. So what she did, she put some um, very bright elastics and tied into my wrist. Uh -huh. And so I could be reminded all the time to keep a nice shape instead of you know, using yeah. a lot of, uh, like, a, <laughs> like a bird. So it's, it's ironic that people say that about me when it was actually one of the things that, oh, it's not so good. You right. look very good, but your arms are a little too flappy. Right. So I guess she was so obsessed about it that she made me. So the port de bras is is it the is it in, is it include the head and the neck as well? Is it the whole upper part of the body, yeah, or I is think, it mostly the? What, do you consider it the arms? No, it comes from your back. I think okay. uh, the way at least they taught me how to move my arms. The arms, the, the movement doesn't come from from the shoulder, from the arm. It really comes from your back, how you support mm. your back and oh. how you open your, right. you know, your chest. They used to say, in order to, to do a nice movement, you need to feel that you have like a diamond in, in your chest and you're sewing and you're opening. Mm. So everything will come from the back. And it's a way of um, framing the whole movement and framing mm -hmm. your, you know, your face. It's not the same to put the arm here than to put it you know, mm -hmm. right where you are, where your face is. So, so if you were gonna give somebody advice on their port-a-bras, what would you tell them to, that you, they should do to get to the place where you are? Just be very conscious because arms is something that you try to forget about. You worry about your, your legs and turning and jumping and a lot of tension um, maybe you carry on your upper body and it shouldn't show. That's when I think that maybe the the port de bras doesn't look as good when you have a lot of tension. Mm -hmm. So I, I just would suggest to really put attention to it and as much as you do with the rest of your body. Great. Well, in just a short moment, I'm gonna invite questions from the audience. Once again, I'm interviewing Clara Blanco, soloist with San Francisco Ballet. <clears throat> I wanted to ask you a little bit about what you mentioned <clears throat> about contemporary uh, and um, some of the, the stylistic dances that we do that are very divergent from your original training. And in addition to that, we have a lot of roles that really take acting and theater as well. So as you moved into a company like this, which is so eclectic and mm -hmm. known for these choreographers from around the world and from so many different uh, aspects of the ballet world, did you find that fearful or was it exciting or um, how did you adapt? A little bit of both. At first, I wasn't as confident dancing something that wasn't pure classical because, again, it was brand new to me. So it took a little bit of time. Um, 
But once I start feeling more comfortable, it became something very excited. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think a lot of companies can have this multiple um, styles um, at once. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I think is, is very important for the dancer to, you know, to grow and develop it in different ways. Mm -hmm. And the acting, did you find that something you had to grow into as well? Yes. Um, I, I remember, I was, I'm still, I'm, I'm shy, but when I was younger, it was ridiculous. Like, I couldn't smile or anything, and because I took ballet very serious, uh, very seriously, I will just be very, you know, mm -hmm. like too focused in class. And um, when I dance, I will never smile. And I remember my teacher saying, Clara, smile, it's fun. But even that, it made me very nervous. Um, so that's something that I, I have changed over the years. And I've been noticing lately more and more as I, I've been, I, they gave me the opportunity to do some roles that require to portray a character. Yeah. Like it, Ibsen's House, right? Yeah, like Ibsen's House or like Onegin that we just did. Yeah. Um, I really, really enjoy it. And now I don't really care who is watching or what I'm doing. It's, mm -hmm. it's really something that is the most fulfilling thing I have experienced so far is when you do a ballet that has a, a character role. Mm -hmm. It's not just abstract. Although you can get a lot of out of those two, mm -hmm. but um, having to be someone or something else in, in right. a ballet is, is big. Okay. You know, uh, Clara, there was a time where you were here at the ballet, and then you had a time away, and you returned. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, when that happens, what, what occurs to me is that some, you know, you're, you're still fairly young, that, that some growth and some change happens. You really decide, you know, figure out who you are as a person and what you want to be doing. Mm -hmm. And so tell me what it is that brought you back and what draws you to this company and what makes it so special for you. Well... I'm sure a lot of people can relate, but when you lose something is when you realize what <laughs> you had, right? So um, I, when I decided to leave, I just, I just felt that I came here very young and this mm -hmm. was the only company that I knew. Right. So in a way, I kind of wanted to explore other options and see what I could do somewhere else, mm -hmm. see what I could dance, um, what kind of dancer I can, I can I could be in another company. Um, I also needed, in a way, to be closer to home. Yeah. yeah. But then, once I left, um, I realized that if you are not living in the city where your parents are or where where home is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you are two thousand miles away or just a couple. You still are not at home. So that, for me, mm. wasn't a big deal to be closer. But what I, what I realized is that um, this company was much more than what I thought it was mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. um, the, everything, I mean, I, I could just talk about everything, but from the rep, the people, the way of working, the staff, it was something that um, I really missed when I didn't have it. And I, I don't know, something clicked when I was away. Yeah. And I knew that um, I really wanted to, to be back and to be part of this place yeah. and well, make my career here. So wow. I was lucky that um, I got my, 
my job back. I was very lucky. Um, because normally, you know, when you leave a place, you just leave it for good. I never knew I was going to come back. Mm -hmm. I just left. But uh, I was um, lucky to, to be back. And, you know, it's, it was like a start all over again, um, but in a better way. Yeah. Like, I, I think I, I, I grew a lot in that year that I was away. Yeah. Isn't that something? You know, I just think about your return and then your work in Petrushka and uh, Ibsen's house and... Uh, on Yegan and all those, such such growth, such it's been amazing to watch you. Let's give the audience a chance to ask a couple of questions of Clara. Okay, I see a hand way back there. Yes. Okay, <clears throat> she, she wants to know, when you think about your teacher's teacher, and you think about the lineage that's handed down, are, have those traditions changed? Are they the same? Uh, do you find that as new generations emerge, uh, that it is uh, evolving in some different way? Or is there a, a very strong pedagogy, a very strong style that's handed down? Well, I think dance has been evolving from the very, very beginning. Um, I mean, dancers somehow they keep getting better and better and doing crazy things with their bodies. Um, but um, in terms of Spain, like I say, my teacher was the teacher of all the great teachers. All that the great I, teachers of Spain. They That's have right. in Spain, um, and uh, so I, I, they were the same way my teacher influenced my dancing every day. I think it also influenced the other teachers. And she was very specific in what she wanted. Like her classes weren't just a couple hours. Sometimes we were five hours straight of class. And it was very picky and very specific in what, what she wanted to, to share. So I think that really got stuck in those other, those teachers' heads, and that's what, that's the way they teach, the same. Right. I don't know if you picked that up. Did you hear what she said? A class would last as long as the teacher wanted it to. It's not like it, the class would go from one time to one time. It would last as long as the, a five-hour class. No, it was crazy. She that's forgot, <sighs> she forgot that we had to eat. <laughs> <laughs> because she didn't really, really care about eating. <laughs> so she was so, she oh loved God. it so much, so yeah, much. Yeah. That, and she wanted to give all her knowledge to yeah. us that sometimes we'll just spend hours in a corner trying the same exercise over and over until it was perfect. And at the end it was perfect. Like she was able to make a dance, pe like people who weren't really, didn't have anything, any, any you know, talent, like, mm -hmm. but they were able to, to dance. It was really amazing that way. 
Right. You know, when I, as you were speaking, I'm, I'm thinking about the, the kind of focus, the kind of attention, the kind of dedication it takes. And I just think of how, in the current age, how fast everything is and how quickly we can get information. And I just wonder, has that, does that affected your whole life, the way that you've learned to work in class? Does that affect your personality and your, your whole lifestyle? Well, I think dancers in general are very um, perfectionist. Okay. So, and I, for what I, they told me, sometimes I was very extreme and I was very dedicated and very focused. And I, I tend to do that with everything I start. I like to do it well. If I don't do it well, I prefer not to do it. So um, that, it, that dedication and that um, that way of work right. in, in in terms of the ballet studio, I think I carry it out of my the rest of the things that I do in life. Okay, can we we have a time for another question or two? Yes. Wow, well that's a very interesting question. Every year there seem to be more soloists and more principals. And we know that one of the, the parts about getting promoted is that you get to do more uh, solo work, and more specialty work. But uh, how do you, uh, how do you uh, deal with the challenge of, of, of getting the roles that you want and the, the performances that you, you long for? Well, I think uh, we are all trying to to do more and more. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the nature of the dancer. No one is gonna be content with what is given to them. I, I think you always want more. So um, people cope differently. Um, I, I just, I know that I, you just have to be happy and enjoy what is given to you and try to get the best out of it. And by doing that, I think you will get even more things and more challenges. That's right. Isn't that the key? Yeah. To do, to take what you're given and use it to its fullest extent yeah. to make the most of it. And at least enjoy that because you mm -hmm. don't know what next, you, what is the other thing that you are going to get. So at least enjoy the moment, the present. And that was something that at first for me was hard. But I think as you get older and you dance more and see more and understand better the ballet world, I think uh, you are able to do it. And um, at least that's what I, I will tell people to do. And I try to remind myself always. Well, I'm going to ask you one last question, and that is, because you're so young, like, what do you hope for? What do you aspire to? What do you, what do you want to do? What are you, what are you aiming for in your, in your life, in your career? Well, uh, at the moment, I'm, I'm planning to keep dancing <laughs> as, long, <laughs> as long as I can. I okay. feel um, I, I'm not that young. Yeah. I'm not that young. Okay. <laughs> I wish I was a little bit younger, but uh, in this world, I'm not that young. But okay. I, I still think I, my, my body feels good, and I think I, I can mm -hmm. still keep dancing for some more years. And after that, I, I don't really know. Uh, I know I, I love teaching. Ballet. Mm -hmm. So if I do something that is involved in in ballet, I would like to coach and you know share all the knowledge that I think I gain from my teacher. Um, I think in a way I think I I like to see and I have a, I think I have a good eye and mm -hmm. I, ha I think I have the patience also to 
Well, you have a very esteemed lineage, and I think you'd probably be a great teacher. I want to thank you so much for taking the time on your day off. Remember that, audience, on your day off to come and give this audience just a little piece of That's your insight into your life. Thank you all for being here. Thank Enjoy you. the show. Thank you.